To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome everyone to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know that song. You know this voice. It's your boy, Rook. Joining me, as always, is the man with the plan. It's Mr. Don Moore. Hello, everybody. And our guest tonight is Caleb Palmquist, coming to us to talk about books like Space Monkey Nights Go and Unicorn Vampire Hunter. And first off, I want to say, Caleb, thank you so much for sending us so much stuff to look at. <laughs> that was awesome. I spent my day rereading the books for like the third time. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, now, I have to ask because Unicorn Vampire Hunter is a very cool story, very different than what we're used to seeing. Uh, adventurous, magic, all this different stuff. Uh, but it's so different from Space Monkeys. Uh, the, the, you're writing both of these books, and it's just – it's such a such a variation in writing. Uh, you do a lot of very different projects. Yeah, I think so. I mean the book that I was working on before this was a sci-fi detective thing, and then uh, Unicorn Vampire Hunter is a fairy tale, and then Space Monkey Nights Go is really a like a Saturday morning cartoon style thing. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm a little all over the place, although um, hopefully uh, across all my books, the, the thing that's resonant is the characters and like the relationships between the characters. And I think that for Space Monkey Nights Go, the preview that I sent you guys is pretty short. Um, yeah, but, it was, uh, but it's very cool. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. So you're the writer on on both of these projects, and you've got great teams uh, that you're working with. Tell us a little bit about what it's like trying to get these teams together uh, to work on something you've written that you've put so much time into. Sure. Well, it's a little bit of a different story with each of them, because for Space Monkey Nights Go, Dave Lentz, who is my letterer on pretty much all the comics that I write, came to me with this idea. Um, and so he and I co-created it. Um, he wanted to uh, to do a sort of homage to 80s Saturday morning cartoons, and he had this idea, and uh, and then he asked me to write it. Um, and then for that book, uh, <laughs> we uh, we hunted around for an artist for a little while, but then ultimately ended up uh, going with Nick Torres, who's someone we both worked with a lot before. And the longer you spend sort of in the in the indie comics community, the longer the more people, you know, uh, you know, the more different artists and colorists and letterers and everything that you just kind of know. And so it, it, it kind of becomes a uh, less of a question of finding an artist and more of a question of like, well, who are we going to work with this time? Um, and uh, for Unicorn Vampire Hunter, uh, I've been working on that for quite a while. And uh I actually, 
went through a couple of different people that I was maybe going to collaborate with on that book before I found Daryl Toe. And the way that I found him was just he drew another book um, that a friend of mine made called Is None of the Wear Spider that I thought I just thought it was it was really cool. And so I hit him up and asked him if he would be interested in working with me. And, and now he and I have been working together for, uh, man, maybe four years now. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, finding an artist, finding anyone like any collaborators to work with is very hard, but then it's like, it's almost like asking, well, how did you meet your best friend? You know, it's like, well, <laughs> I just kind of happened, you know, like, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't go like, I, I wasn't like going out to bars being like, I need a friend. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be interesting though, going up to random people at a bar and being like, Hey, I need an artist for a comic. Are you interested? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I, I want to ask because uh, like I said at the beginning, you sent us all five issues uh, or the five issues that are out there, I'm really hoping I'm about to hear there's a sixth issue coming. Uh, yeah. Vampire. Okay. Thank you. Cause I was yeah. like, there's no way this is the end. <laughs> no, no. It, um, we, I originally wrote a different ending for issue five that would have been a much more conclusive, but the book was doing very, very well and I had more ideas. So, um, we kind of left it open and, uh, and so we're working on issue six right now, and uh, I think that maybe near the end of this year, possibly early next year, we're going to return to Kickstarter with in two more issues. Um, and uh, we've planned out uh, two more volumes. Um, so the story that we're trying to tell will take place over the first three volumes, and there will be... Um, another point at which we could continue it or we could end the story um right yep right. just kind of got it gauging response to see uh see how far you're going to go with it yeah and also i think that um as w with the first the first volume we were definitely doing that um but then i wrote volumes two and three as like i'm going to do i'm definitely going to do volumes two and three because i know the support is there um, after that, it's possible that we'll want to take a break and do something else. So, uh, you know, I, th I think sometimes it's a question of, well, we could keep doing this or do we want to try um, something else? And Daryl and I have, have started spinning up ideas for other other things that we might work on, too, that I, that are like, you know, way out in the future. But it's like, well, um, you know, we could keep doing Unicorn Vampire Hunter forever or we could... Uh, tell the story we want to tell and then move on and do something else. Right. Right. That's always a, that's always a hard thing when you're writing stuff to decide, okay, am I done? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, do you have, do you have moments where you have, have to bounce stuff off the other, other people you're working with and be like, all right, do you think I'm done? Do you think we're done? Do we, do we keep going here? Uh, definitely. I mean, I bounce stuff off people all the time. Uh, I think comics are a super collaborative medium. I know a lot of people do them solo, like you got artists out there who do, you know, the whole deal, but that's uh, definitely not how I approach it. And so not only we're talking about a artist, you know, sometimes a colorist, letterer, things like that. I also work with 
um, other writers that I bounce ideas off of and I'll send them drafts and, and stuff like that. And I have a group of people who are just brutally honest with each other, uh, you know, who will be like, oh, man, no, this isn't working or, you know, they really like this or whatever. And so um, I think that those things are key because I don't always see it myself. I get attached to ideas and I don't necessarily know whether or not they're the right ideas or they're going to work. What, what, what have you done? I mean, if they've given you um, feedback and saying this isn't working, how do you approach that? I mean, do you just take one section they did? Do you rework the whole thing? I mean, honestly, that's a great thing, but it sounds like a nightmare if I was trying to. <laughs> well, here's what I do is I if, if I get feedback from someone and they've given me a lot of feedback, um, I'll I will write down my thoughts and then I will put it away for a couple days um, and then I'll come back to it and um, and I will write another draft with that in mind. But I make sure not to write that next draft right after I've gotten feedback, especially if it's very critical because I don't want to just say, oh, you're right about all this. It's all trash, and I'm going to get rid of all this. It's more like, let me let me think on it. Let let me let those, those criticisms digest, and then I'll come back, and I'll incorporate what I think is valuable, uh, and I'll take a look at, at what I've done and, and, and what might need to be reworked. But right. uh, I definitely take everything with a grain of salt, but I, but I always appreciate really honest feedback. Um, and it's hard to give honest feedback too. Uh, yeah. You know, like when I'm in the position of somebody sent me what they're working on and I need to give them feedback, it can be really easy to be like, man, I love this. You know, I just love it and you're awesome. Uh, but, you know, ultimately that's not what, when you're, when you're looking for that kind of feedback, that's not what you're looking for. You know, it's a, it's always good to stroke people's ego, but, but you also want to say like, this is what's working for me and this is what's not working for me. And here are the questions that I had as a reader that don't, this doesn't make sense. Right. Um, so, yeah. That's, yeah. that's a good answer. Really good. Yeah. It's hard to critique other people's work because you don't know, especially if you're doing it blind, you don't know what part is like, quintessential to what they did and and you're you, you might hit that one point <laughs> that they're like but that's like my big thing that's the big part of it uh you know it me personally i just i'm one of those people that just enjoy the fact that there's people out there doing such different stuff than what we see in the mainstream with indie comics you know it's it, it's sad to say that so many of these books would not hit shelves if diamond had full control of everything all the time and That's true yeah and it, it it really makes me happy to have people like you out here doing cool different stuff like unicorn uh vampire hunter space monkey nights go um right off the bat with space monkey nights i i i just got this fun kick of like Teen Titans and and like um, Samurai Jack and things like that. Uh, looking at the art and uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. That's another thing that I thought about when the, when the the wasp came flying in. Oh uh, yeah. Maybe for our listeners, what we should take a minute and do because we're really bad at just give them a brief idea of what 
Space Monkey Knights Go is and Vampire uh, or Unicorn Vampire Hunter. Oh, sure. Space Monkey Knights Go is uh, a 80s and 90s inspired um, comic book about four monkeys who are sent out into space. And uh, they're meant to be learning all of mankind's knowledge while they sleep in, in cryo, but instead they only get all the knowledge about King Arthur's knights. Uh, and so they wake up on after they crash land on the alien planet, believing themselves to be knights of the round table. Uh, and then they become guardians of of the universe, uh, defending the innocent as chivalrous monkey knights. Um, so that is uh, that's the elevator pitch for that one. And then uh, Unicorn Vampire Hunter is about a unicorn who hunts vampires with his horn. Uh, but it's a fairy tale uh, story about kind of found family and um, forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, the found family and the forgiveness is definitely a big part of Unicorn Vampire Hunter, and I absolutely adored that part of it. Still seeing the dynamic between two characters where they're trying to, like, when he talks to his dad and the last thing that his father said, I'm like, man, seriously? <laughs> like, that's some evil crap. That is some evil crap that you wrote there, man. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty dark. Um, certainly that issue. And uh, but, I, you know, I wanted to get I wanted to get really into, you know, uh, I mean, who doesn't have daddy issues, you know, and like. Uh, it's just like, um, hopefully that is something that is uh, emotional when people read it. But yeah, I I actually had to go back and be like, wait a minute, scroll back. Like, did did like the witch stand in the background and cast a spell or something here? <laughs> did you really just say that? Or <laughs> yeah, that that panel was uh was a heartbreak. Uh, especially considering like the two, the two characters are kind of coming together and then the dad his dad says that and it was just that was that was a rough that was a rough way to finish that off so <laughs> one uh, thing one thing that runs through both of those strips is perceptions you know um, I read space space monkey nights first and it, like you said there's not a lot to it but I like the fact, even though they only got to King Arthur's court, each one had different aspects of it. It's not like they were all in unison. And then the unicorn vampire hunter, it was how people reacted and how each person or magical creature saw, saw the reality in front of them. It was different. And uh, I... There was a lot of heart to it and everything, even if they were upset. And, you know, I mean, who in life, you don't always see what other people see in it. And that was evident all the way through the, the strip. Um, I read Space Monkey Nights first. I kind of liked that style compared to other styles. And uh, I thought, okay. And I read The Unicorn Vampire Hunter. And um, I, I tried to leave the end of the stuff. I try not to read those so I don't give away, you know, when I'm doing the show, but 
I I went all the way through it, and I was kind of teed off. That's all I had. Um, which is what you want. <laughs> well, I'm so glad. I um, I think uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it left you wanting more because I I have a lot more story to tell, and a lot of um, the characters are very alive for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I I think that the strength of Unicorn Vampire Hunter is that it's got a very silly conceit, and which maybe hooks people in, but then uh, you know I think a lot of people have come back to me and said, wow, this is not the story I was expecting. Yeah. And, you know, I want to know more about what happens to these characters, which is, which is really gratifying uh, to hear. But uh, the, um, as far as the, the space monkey nights go, it's, I'm a big King Arthur guy. In fact, yeah. the book that I did on Kickstarter prior to the, the ones I've got going right now, was actually King Arthur story called The Knight and the Lion, which is uh, which is a a much more like truer or rather straighter retelling of of King Arthur stories. Hmm. Um, it's it's goofy and fun in its own way, but yeah. um, but it's like a pretty it's like very much an examination of the concept of chivalry. Um, Whereas Space Monkey Nights Go just is like takes everything I know about King Arthur and just like has a lot of fun with it and is very silly, um, you know. And it's sort of like, well, what if the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were knights? Uh, and uh, and that's that's kind of what I'm going for. Um, I, it's also like the most like youngest skewing thing I've ever written, um, which is an interesting challenge too, because uh, I didn't in in the Night and the Lion, I got into like what chivalry meant to like 13th century readers and like what what that kind of was all about. And of course, in Space Monkey Nights Go, I'm not like examining chivalry as a as a moral concept. Uh, they're like, you know, uh, fighting space wasps and joking yeah. about stuff like so. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's what I was going to ask. When you're working on these projects, does the artist, the visuals, does that change any direction for you on how you're writing the, the story? Oh, 100%. Um, I have almost always done the majority of the writing on projects after I've found an artist to work with. Yeah. Like, I'll I'll come up with a concept and I'll write outlines maybe even like part of a script but but usually i don't fully write the script until i've got the artist that i'm already working with because you know every artist style is totally different and right. lends itself to different kinds of storytelling and also some artists um just have different ways that they like scripts delivered to them and I'm a real big fan of a very collaborative approach where I don't, if you see my scripts, they don't tell you, okay, the first panel is one third of a page and it's a medium shot. It's like, I describe what's happening on the page. Um, and I think I have a pretty good sense of based on the individual artist, how much can reasonably fit on a page. Right. Um, and then I, I trust them to do the panel layouts. Um, I have worked with artists who wanted me to do that part. And so I'll do it. But, um, but I, you know, I write, I definitely write to the artist, but I also tend to write in a very decompressed 
style anyway. I one person said to me recently, well, like you could probably tell more story if you were willing to put more panels, more action on each page. And I, I just looked at him. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, and some people really like it. I, I, I have a friend who's really into actually compressed storytelling because it's like a nostalgia thing of like, you know, sort of golden age comics where they'd have nine panels on the page and like <laughs> there's like a lot happening. Uh, and I think that that can be fun in its own way. But for me, I like to give space for things to breathe. Since you guys both read Unicorn Vampire Hunter, I'm sure you noticed that there's a lot of pages and panels where there's just silence or just like meaningful looks yeah. exchanged between characters. Um, and and that's all intentional um, because I want to let things, you know, breathe. Right. Yeah. That's- that's a powerful tool, and that's something that didn't exist until the 80s. Um, Marvel Comics in the 70s was trying to do a thing where they are going to bring manga over here. It's strange to say in the world we live in now, but in the 70s, you never saw manga. You would see about Japanese comics. They'd tell you about them. Uh, you'd see some anime on television, rare. And one of the big issues that Marvel had, and it never occurred, was the manga publishers didn't want to bring the Marvel comics over because it was too wordy. And Marvel was complaining about they have panels with nothing in it. And then they have characters that have a word balloon with just dots in it. Well, <laughs> it's it's a, it's a pensive thing. It's, it's something for somebody to, to think. And like you just mentioned, breathe. Um, you know, when I was reading, reading The Unicorn Vampire Hunter, there was never any time where I thought, oh, he's wasting space. It it goes with the story, and it gives you time to take it in and, and like I said, think and kind of enjoy yourself. It it didn't see, um, seem, um, I don't know, wasteful is not the word I'm thinking of, but it's it wasn't wasted space. It was nice. But that's, again, that's, that's something that didn't occur in American comics until um, the 80s when they started bringing manga over here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, your panel pacing is great in that book. Yes. I, I thought it was absolutely wonderfully done. Uh, let me ask a question about uh, Space Monkey Nights. Uh, I see on the Kickstarter that it, it at one point it says um, Volume One uh, instead of just Issue One. Oh, does it say that? Uh, yeah. Where is it? Uh, oh no, it says Book One. Pardon me. Yeah, not volume. Book one. So you have the number one, and then you have book one, uh, a swarm welcome. So that (laughs) that uh, it's a variant cover. It's like supposed to be like a D and D inspired variant cover. Okay. uh, Dave, the the co-creator and letterer on the book, he's he's a big fan of calling issues book, Mm. um, which I think is mildly confusing. Uh, but, um, it's, uh, I never, to be honest, I never really thought about it. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I was, that's not, yeah. yeah, my curiosity was, okay, is this, is this the intended cover for, uh, a collected volume or this is just a variant cover, uh, by actually Ryan Kroboth, uh, who's been on the show. <laughs> oh yeah. Ryan's a great guy. And Ryan is the guy who introduced Dave to me. So uh, we have him to thank for a lot of our collaborations. Um, but 
yeah, no, that's just, uh, um, I think, I also think Dave probably thought that if it said book one, that seems more like a D&D thing yeah. than issue one. Um, but uh, yeah, no, there will be a volume one at some point uh, of Space Monkey Nights Go, but it is not, obviously we're just doing, we're doing the first issue now. Yeah. How long is that series planned to be? Or- well, we have a four issue arc that we planned out. Um, and so it kind of, you know, it's like, it's it's such a lighter series that it's not like a big epic necessarily. Um, it's like a fun little story that we planned out. And uh, so we have four issues planned. It kind of, you know, it depends on reception. I think that um, definitely it is, um, the, the Kickstarter currently is, I, I don't want to say struggling, it's doing fine, but certainly I think that there were some things uh, working against us, like it's Dave's first ever Kickstarter, mm-hmm. um, and one of the huge things that people who do repeat Kickstarters will tell you is helpful is that people who have backed your previous Kickstarters get a notification natively through Kickstarter that you launched another project. Yep. Uh, and so, of course, you know, nobody got that notification for this one because Dave um, had never launched one before. So but it's a builder, you know, um, it's uh, and I think it's really cool. And I think hopefully similar to Unicorn Vampire Hunter, once people get their hands on the first issue and read it, they're really going to like what's happening. Yeah. And they're they're going to be excited for the next issue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't see why they wouldn't, because, I mean, this is. Uh, the preview that we got is just it's fun period that is the best word to describe it It is a fun book and nice too yeah it's good looking and it's just a fun read uh you mentioned D&D first so i'm allowed to talk now <laughs> okay unicorn unicorn vampire hunter like i'm reading this book and going this dude's gotta play D and D. Like I'm just I'm reading this book and I'm like I'm seeing so many things. I'm like, okay, that's an artificer, uh, spellcaster. Do you play D and D? you know, um, would you believe me if I told you that I actually spent four hours today uh, working on a Dungeons and Dragons book uh, that I'm developing right now? Um, <laughs> yes, oh, I play D and D. Talk, talk nice. about the book a little bit. What what is this? Oh, um, I'm working on. So for Unicorn Vampire Hunter, we did a we actually did a one shot, um, our fifth edition adventure called The Wolf that told an in canon story. Um, the players could play as a D and D adventure, um, about a werewolf, um, and it involves some of the characters from Unicorn Vampire Hunter and Daryl. Toe, the artist of the series, drew that. And then after we did that, he had such a good time doing it that he came to me and he said, I have this other idea for a different IP that I want to do a whole campaign about. And he said, let's partner on it. So I was like, how could I say no? Um, And so he and I are working on an RPG book along with a few other friends of mine. and it is a fantasy adventure. I don't want to say too much. We're gonna be right. Be vague. We're gonna 
we're, we're, we're in the alpha test phase right now. So we are going to be opening, doing a open public beta later this year. Um, but uh, it's a whole adventure. There's, there's uh, 12 um, separate chapters, like adventures within it. Um, and it's got a lot of new like class and race options in it. And Daryl's drawing the whole thing. So it's all illustrated by Daryl Toe who drew Unicorn Vampire Hunter. And it's a fantasy adventure, um, but it has nothing to do with Unicorn Vampire Hunter. Um, but I'm super excited about it. I think people are really gonna like it. Um, and uh, we've been putting a ton of time into it. So yes, I mean, like you were right that that it's, it's very it's very RPG inspired, very Dungeons and Dragons inspired. And I'm hoping in the next year or two to to move into the role playing game space as a creator. Right. Because uh, I've been running my own games for years, right? Like everybody yeah. who's into D and D is like running their own games, and really that's that's creation in itself. If you've ever run a game, hell, if you've ever played a game of D and D, you're doing a lot of creation. Right there, yep. it's collaborative storytelling, um, and uh, and so I thought, well, you know, what a better opportunity to to take some of the storytelling I'm already doing and bring it to a different audience, different genre, doing something I love to do. Um, so yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. Uh, we, we've talked about this uh, I, actually quite a bit. Uh, launch Kickstarter. Uh, are you are you looking at Kickstarter on that or like drive through RPG? Uh, sorry, you guys were both yeah, asking sorry, a question I'll, I'll at the same time. <laughs> I'll stop. Don, you go first. No, I was just going to ask. We've talked about um, creating RPG games, and we're not, but we've had people on that are doing the series, and some of them have done the games. Um, we've, you know, how did you approach that? You know, creating the game? Because I've heard some people say they crashed and burn, and it's really hard. I mean, Oh, it's hard. It's, I mean, we're still in the early stages, but when I write a comic book, I have to create a story and just make sure the story makes sense and is fun to read. But when you're creating an RPG, even within, I mean, I'm not inventing a new system, right? It's fifth edition. So it's within that, but you know, there's so much that goes on with the play testing and, um, making sure that the game will be fun to play and that the game masters who read this will understand it. Cause when you write your own adventure, like if you're playing D and D and you're writing your own adventure and running it for your friends, you know, everything's in your head, right? Like even if you didn't write it down, um, you know what the goblin shopkeeper is like and what he's going to say and what his accent sounds like or whatever, like, but, but, uh, if I write this adventure and sell it to you and then you have this book and you don't have me standing over your shoulder telling you all the little bits, then, you know, there has to be enough there for you to, to run it. Um, and, uh, and to understand what's happening. And so that I think is, is in many ways much more challenging than writing a comic or regular story. Yeah. Yeah. I would think sometimes it seems a little bit like engineering, yeah. I mean, wow. Okay. Go ahead, Rook. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. You're fine. Um, so I'm curious is this something, uh, Kickstarter project, uh, or like something like Drive Through RPG? So, um, the, 
the way that people will first see it is that it will be available as an open beta through a website that we're setting up um, where people can just sign up for free to be part of the beta um, to opt in and we'll run the open beta for about nine months um, and then we will be doing Kickstarter for sure. Um, nice. It will probably be available on DriveThruRPG later on, um, but for my money, Kickstarter is still the number one place to sell yeah. any kind of new creative project because that's where the audience is. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, my Kickstarter is nothing but comics and D and D stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like nothing but. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I, yeah. If you looked at the stuff that I've backed, uh, it's probably about maybe one third comics and then two thirds board games and tabletop games. Um, which is, of course, is where I've spent way too much money. I like, uh, <laughs> as a consumer on Kickstarter, I'm definitely in the board game, like tabletop area. And of course, those are so much more expensive than comics. <laughs> I'm yeah. stupid. And my, I've got a, I've got a, a couple of Calax, like IKEA Calax shelves, just in the next room, <laughs> that are just full of games. And you know, maybe, maybe 60% of them I've actually played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I still have um, uh, Lords of Waterdeep, the board game, in its packaging, because I just haven't gotten around to sitting down and playing it yet. <laughs> so, now, when it comes to comic books, what brought you to comics? Did you did you start as at a young age reading comic books? Uh, kind of. I mean, I, I think I... I was into X-Men when I was a kid. Um, and I I don't think I, like, I think what really happened is I had like a small handful of books that uh, someone had given me. I don't know if it was like my grandma or someone, you know, so it was like the same three issues of like Ultimate X-Men that I just like read over and over and over and over again as a kid, yeah. you know? And so it just like, um, and, uh, but, I really wanted to make movies when I was a kid um, and I did end up going to film school. I did not finish film school. I dropped out of film school, which I always say is cooler than finishing film school. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I, um, I wanted to go into film and then I realized that where I learned a lot of things about the industry that, were scary i mean you know it's like a harsh industry film is um there was a book that just came out called burn it down um which is like a by a film uh film and television journalist and she like really goes into like a lot of abuses in the film industry and like um there was a clint eastwood documentary around the time i was in college about the similar thing and it was like i was like scared off i was like man i you know like i wanted to be spielberg i don't want to like work 14 hour days as a boom mic operator and just like barely make any money and anyway that's a whole other conversation but so i i was like well how else could i be creative how else could i tell the stories i want to tell and i started writing um and for a while i thought i would write screenplays or novels and then eventually i was like i always liked comics i read a lot of comics especially in college and after college i was reading a lot of comics um and so i was like this seems like something I could do. This seems like achievable. Um, and I just like 
I really like it. I, I, um, I think at this point, I don't view it as like a stepping stone to something else. You know, a lot of people say like, oh, do you want to, you know, do you want your comic book to get it at, adapted into a movie or whatever? And I'm like, I mean, I guess if that were to happen, it'd be cool. But that's like, mm-hmm. I'm telling the story in the medium that I think it needs to be told in. Yeah. So this is the format that I want to tell the story in. Um, and odds are, if some if it gets adapted, that's it's somebody else's project, right? Mine would be the right. inspiration, but then that's somebody else's project. Um, yeah, and then you got to watch them take your baby and change it. <laughs> well, trust me, this will be better on film if it does goes like this instead. Well, it's it's a different animal. And I got a couple of questions from those. That was a great answer, by the way. But um, when you decided to do comics. I'm I'm trying to phrase. I'm as you can see, I'm not a writer. I'm trying to put this question. Were you thinking about how am I going to get an artist? Were you? I mean, how am I going to do comics if I don't draw? I'm I'm just curious what your thought process was. Well, when I first started out, um, I thought, well, maybe I could. I always liked to doodle. I was like, maybe I could like yeah. teach myself to draw. Okay. And I and I did try. Um, and it was okay, uh, but it wasn't anything that, nothing I want people to see now. <laughs> and, um, and then, uh, the next step was I did a comic book that was very like sort of anthology based where it was a story that I had written with a friend of mine, mm-hmm. but then like each little like scene was drawn by different artists because, at that time i didn't you know i didn't have a reputation i didn't know anyone i didn't and and but i found that i could find artists who would be willing to draw like four to eight pages for me Hmm. Um, and um the book turned out okay uh but um it definitely was i think it took me a while to come around to the idea that an artist is really um a collaborator even if um even if you're not like collaborators in like a business sense like i know a lot of people starting out want to like find an artist who will just do a 50 50 like back-end deal or whatever which is like not feasible um unless you're you know if i was if i was uh you know uh some really famous writer who was guaranteed to sell Right. right but like um but I think even if I'm, even if it's like a work for hire situation where I'm paying an artist, it really has to be a collaboration. Um, and there has to be a level of respect there. You know, Kieran Gillen recently did a, um, a talk and there's this image floating around on the internet um, where he said, um, the artist doesn't need you, you're a parasite. Um, <laughs> there's, con- there's context to that. Oh, okay. Uh, what- <laughs> <laughs> what he means is like a really talented artist in theory can do the whole thing by themselves right we talked about that earlier um and so the question is like as a writer what do you bring to the table um what am i and obviously like i'm bringing money because i'm not just an artist i'm a producer right? right i'm like paying for this stuff but but also like beyond that is there you know like like what's my role 
and am I am I being parasitic? Am I just like viewing an artist as a means to an end, um, or is it is you know my role important? Like why why does nurse want to work with me? And since I've been very fortunate in that since I started out, I've actually had several artists come to me and want to collaborate, yeah. um, which is very flattering. But it wouldn't have been something that would have happened to me early on. And I think that that kind of thing only happens when you develop a reputation as someone who is easy to work with and who can who like brings something to the table. Oh, yeah. um, and so my to answer your question, very like long winded is like when I started out, I really viewed artists as like a commodity, like that this is something I need to so that I can make the thing that's mine. But now I really view it as like a collaboration and um, and I, as in what I'm looking for an artist, I mean, there's way more things that I'm looking for than just, can they draw good? You know, there's things like, are they passionate about storytelling? Mm-hmm. Do they, are they gonna be r- reliable? And, um, and do we have a personality match? Um, yeah. I've talked to people who have started to work with artists and decided it wasn't a good fit because they just didn't mesh personality wise and it felt like just like way too stiff and formal um and and i get it because like um if it just feels like if it as much as like in in a big sense it is a job for the artist especially if they're work for hire artists it also if it if if it's obvious to the reader that this was just like a paycheck and that it doesn't matter you can see that um you know so no, that's a good answer, and it wasn't long-winded. Uh, that's what I was wanting to hear. Um, some artists can write. I mean, not all. I, I, I'm, I'm, when I'm talking about growing up mainstream comics, there were some artists that worked with a writer, and they were really good. Some artists went on their own as a solo writer-artist, and they were greatness. But a lot of them, their stories fell flat. I mean, they were okay, but... They didn't have all the nuances in the story. They didn't have the poetry in the story. They didn't have the insights or the thinking philosophy. And after a while, it was like a one hit wonder. It was just the same beats all the time they did it. Um, And to me, comics was always a collaboration. You could always tell the better comics because the artist would plot with the writer sometimes. I mean, the writer may have a fully formed idea, but the artist would come in with some ideas and they, yeah, let's put that in there. Let's listen to that. Um, I love that kind of stuff. So while you're talking about, you, you entered the field and you kind of understood what comics were about as soon as you entered it. That's what I was curious about was I've heard some writers that got to be big names and they left out. Well, I don't want to mention any names, but they left. And the problem they had when they create their own stuff outside of mainstream comics was being able to get an artist that they could pay, you know, and they would develop the stuff along with them. And, uh, but it sounds to me like when you entered it, you immediately just kind of went into it, learned it, understood it and went on. I think what I'm saying is correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also think that there's a lot of resistance on the part of, if you're in any comics and you're a writer, unless you're in a fortunate position where you're getting work for hire, 
like gigs where like you know other people are paying you to write stuff the role that i have is really as a producer i mean so much of the work that i do is like the business side of things and i am putting up a lot of money and a lot of it's on faith that i know that you know mm-hmm. at this point i have a cycle you know Mo- like some things don't do as well as other things but i have like a reasonable idea of like if i invest ten thousand dollars in this project i'm going to get that much money back out because that's the kind of that's the level of money that we're talking about here yeah. you know i mean like we're talking about a lot of money i mean if i didn't know that if i didn't have a process for being able to sell that stuff and get that money back i mean i'm a i'm a teacher i don't i'm not i'm not right i'm not raking in the cash you know right. so um so i there is a lot of risk involved but you also have to be willing to take that risk i mean it because like it costs money to make stuff and it costs money you know this stuff is expensive Absolutely. Yeah. Now, one thing I don't mean to keep asking questions. I'll, I'll give Rook the floor in a second. <laughs> when you're talking about the finances, this is something is never ever discussed. Creators don't talk about it. Most creators um, don't really understand it. How how did you put this together? How did you you come up with a how, how did you come up with your, your thinking about if I put this much money in, I'll get this? Did you have a plan? I mean, uh, well, on my first book, I went deeply into debt and it took me a long time to claw back out of it. Um, to be honest, I learned the hard way. Um, and uh, I also learned a lot about I mean, when I was starting, I didn't know how much to pay people. Some people I was paying way too much. Some people probably were not charging enough. Um, and uh you know there's a real discussion online about how much artists should get paid um and i mean the the brutal truth of it is that it depends on a lot of factors you know like how good the art is and also how reliable you are i'm willing to pay people who are reliable who i know will give me pages that are good and fast I'm willing to pay those people more because uh, because it's worth it. Um, but you know, I also sometimes come up against artists who I feel like just aren't good enough, and they're asking for $200 a page, and I'm like, I can't afford that. It, you know, like based on what you're giving me, I couldn't afford to yeah. uh, to pay you that because I won't make that money back. And that's a hard thing. It's a hard balance to strike because you know, being an artist is a hard, it's not a, like being an artist in indie comics is not a financially lucrative career path. Um, It's, you know, I mean, some people do all right, but uh, it's not. Yeah. And so I learned by trial and error, Um, but I also think it's really important to talk about it and to put it out there in the open. I don't hide behind that, you know, um, because uh, I think that there's a there's a lot of like fear around talking about money, mm-hmm. um, yes. but in the you know in the creative world like there's a lot of people living and dying on what they're making and like having that information about what's realistic to ask for, what's you know right. what can you do, what's what what makes sense to pay, and um, and all those sorts of things and you know i don't know some people don't want other people to know how much they're paying or how much they're getting paid and there's a lot of like weird jealousies and like 
and fears and stuff. And I, I mean, my philosophy is that it's important to talk about it. Um, and I'll be honest with people that, you know, sometimes there's just money that's too much money. Cause like, like I said, you know, it's a balance. You got to make sure that you're making enough to pay for this stuff. Um, yeah. Well, and you know, as far as payout goes, you said, you, you mentioned there's a lot of different factors, you know, uh, how fast you can produce, how good, how good it looks, you know, are, are you going to see the return on the investment? You know, it, you know, it, it's hard for people that look at comic books as this great hobby. And I love comic books and stuff. And, not realize all the business aspects behind it and yeah. you know there, there's a lot of people out there that you know i mean look at what happened with bill finger i mean bill finger basically created everything we know about batman and he died alone in a small apartment you know it, it's you know this is a guy who should have been celebrated and thankfully is these days but you know with indie comics, we're talking about trying to grab the attention of a huge market of people. So, yeah, I can understand why you would say certain amount is too much for what I'm seeing returned. And, yeah, that's completely reasonable, you know. And if we don't talk about these things, if we don't talk about the idea that some people can't make a living while others can well, you got to look at what they're producing as well. Yeah, and uh, some of it has to do with like just how people style of work. I mean, I, I know plenty of people, artists and non-artists alike, who just really thrive on on the like um, working for themselves, like job to job kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, yeah. Who can like who can handle that like on a on like a you know emotional and mental level. Um, and for some people. having a regular paycheck is just like is so much peace of mind that and i've been there i've done both because uh before i was a teacher i was a freelance editor and i'd have feast and famine you know like months where i felt like i could go buy myself a you know a new playstation game and months where i was like i don't know if i'm going to be able to eat this month and uh yeah and so um you know it's uh it's it's an awkward thing to talk about, um, but it, it is, you know, it's a reality of it. And if I could, I mean, like today I spent a lot, like I said, I spent like four hours today working on a D&D project. And if I could um, just do the creative part and still make money, I would. I mean, I would in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's like, there's all the business stuff. And the reality of, of the, the work that I do with comics is that it's probably 60% of my time is spent on business stuff, whether that's promotion or running Kickstarters or fulfilling orders or making deals with artists or whatever. Um, it's definitely not the majority of my time spent writing. And I wish it was, but, right. you know, that's how it goes. That's, that's an art in itself, though, because... You know, what Rick mentioned, most people that started comics, you know, in the 40s up to the up to the 70s, were cheated. I mean, bad. They never thought about the business. Um, there's a few that did, and they, they did quite well. But a creative person that understands the finances and the nuts and bolts of how things work, very rare, extremely rare. So... 
I mean, the reality is you have to know. You have to know how to put it together. You have to know how to finance everything. Um, if you didn't, nothing would ever get done. True. Things would fall apart. And um, there's somebody explained to me. Uh, I knew a married couple that worked. Uh, we, we were we were all graphic artists. All the people that do this show. A friend of mine, him and his wife had their own firm. And then he ended up working. I never had a firm. I always worked for somebody else. I'm one of the kind of people that had to have a, a steady job and a check. I freelance. I didn't like it. Really, really, really scary. I'm either so busy I can't turn around or I'm sit, sleeping on somebody's couch thinking I'm going to be on the streets in a minute, you know. But they were given an example that some, some guy brought in a, a poster for real estate to this client. And all it was was a photograph about a paragraph of text, a really simple map of just lines with some text for street names, a logo for the real estate firm, and a photo of the home. Real simple. And um, he brought it in. The client was working on it. And on the back of this poster had a business card of the agency that did it originally. So they called up the old agency to see if they could get an electronic file of the, the logo. And they said, and this is back in like the late 80s, early 90s. And it says, yeah, we have it. Uh, well, could I get a copy? Sure, $1,500. What? And she said, you can have it for $1,500. Well, she found out from, from the real estate client that that's how much they paid for that poster. So she recreated the logo, you know, on, on desktop, recreated the whole poster, charged $45, which is what I would have charged. And they explained that the people that make the money and get the business are the people that go to parties, go to dinners with clients and can really smooth and convince you that you're getting something special, you know, a special service. Those kind of people are rare. You know, I'm, a lot of stuff I did on my own, I'd, oh yeah, I'll do it for $20, you know? <laughs> so, you know, if you can sit there and put these together, nobody's gonna be happy with how much they make, but if you can pay the artist what you can pay to keep the work going and to be able for everybody to make a profit, that's a, that's a extremely rare trait. I take my hat off to you and I appreciate you talking to I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to the show that are trying to do a project or want to do a project. And we've had a lot of people come on with Kickstarters and it's always interesting to see how they're putting the campaigns together, how they're putting the books together and how they're collaborating with each other. Um, it's always different, but that's, uh, you're at the first is really explained to us about how the business work. And I thank you for that. Sure. <laughs> so we're, we're coming up on it. Caleb, where would you like everybody to find you? What uh, what is the best place on the internets across the world? Well, uh, the first place to look would be on Kickstarter. You can search for Space Monkey Nights Go or Unicorn Vampire Hunter on Kickstarter. Um, if you 
uh, are just looking for a way to follow me and follow what I'm doing, you can go to calebpalmquist.com or unicornvampirehunter.com. Go to the same place. Uh, that's the best place to find all the latest stuff about uh, what I'm doing. And um, there is a link to sign up for my newsletter where you're going to get all the information about my new comics delivered straight to your email inbox. And I give away a lot of free stuff on the newsletter as well. So um, definitely check that out. That's unicornvampirehunter.com. Nice. All right, everybody listen. If you like to draw, we always need to get free, excuse me, not free, fake comic book covers to use on the Facebook page and the Facebook group. It's just announced a new episode. We can't pay you for it because we have no money, but you'll live on an infamy. And if you allow us to, we'll add it to the blog and to the cover gallery. If you're any kind of musician, singer, performance artist, when we don't have a guest, we have a music break. And Rook is always getting upset that I keep playing the same artist over and over and over. So please help a brother out. And on the sidebar, we have a merchandise link. It's T-shirts. We have three different T-shirts. It's not to make us rich. It's just to help us make the hosting fees, which come up every year, unfortunately. Listen to the show. Wear the shirt. Rook? Everybody, check us out. Bunchofdorks.com. Click on that Cyclops. But until next time, everybody. Read. More. Comics. You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click Click on the Cyclops. True Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.